my hand, and then he's going to run back to. Starting the uh, upper click group that he did, and um, so I've been a Christian since 2006, and I've never had a really strong um, prayer life with God. Just really intermittent, or maybe I needed something, or you know, um, and, and hanging around with Bruce um, a couple of terms ago, I was like, man, I want to be like that. And so, uh, and so, um, and hang, and so, the, when we started the upper click group, I was trying to fit in some quiet time. I was like, yeah, I'll do it three times a week, and I'll do it um, after work, and I'll squeeze it in. But every every second Tuesday, they have meetings, so then, oh, but I can't do it that Wednesday. And so I was just trying to fit it in after, and it was just never happening. And so then, um, Luke um, Buxton was like, yeah, man, I've been getting up in the morning and doing it. And I was like, far out, that's cool. And then and he came back the next week and said, yep. Still doing it, and all the other boys were sort of going, "Whoa, okay," and I was still trying to squeeze mine in, and it was like, "Yeah, no, nah, I didn't get around to it this week. Oh, too many meetings and all the excuses under the sun." And I still just really wanted to, so I thought, "Bugger it, I'll just copy Luke." And so I was like, um, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a go." And so I used the Praise You Go app, and so for the last three weeks, I've been getting up early in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, and just. Oh, that's out of necessity, though. If you know my kids, man, they're up at 5.30, so that's only just squeaking in, too. Um, yeah, and so it's just a really, really cool, quiet time that I have um, with the Lord, do the Praise Go app, and I've been adding, like, praying beforehand and then praying after. Um, it's been three weeks in, so it's early days. I'm not setting the world on fire or anything just yet, but there's been some changes already, I noticed, within me, um, and maybe my whanau has noticed a little bit, and so uh, I just... Like, you can't dispute the fruit, it's coming. Like, you know, like, uh, I tried a bit of fasting, and I think some of those changes could have been low blood sugar as well, you know? <laughs> Just a bit more chilled. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm really thankful in those changes, and I'm, and I'm really, um, being around the men's group is just, it's iron sharpening iron, and I really encourage you to get someone, and, or a group of people or friends, just to, um, to keep you accountable. It's, it's working for me, and, um, yeah, watch the space. That's going to, Mike's actually meant to be in kids, so short testimony, good. Um, that ties in so well with what I want to share today. So we're continuing our Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, or you can look at the screen. We're continuing on from what Luke was saying last week, preaching from, and this is what we're looking at today. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father, and, Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So let's unpack this scripture today. The first thing I want to say is this. Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray. Jesus is uh, speaking to a religious culture, a religious people who had prayer as part of their culture. Like it was just part of the Jewish culture that we prayed. It'd be like in New Zealand if like everyone just prayed because that's what you did. So he's speaking to that culture where they just would pray all the time. And there were all sorts of set prayers that formed the Israeli worldview, central to the culture that they would pray every single day. 
And so when Jesus is challenging these guys in front of him, he's saying, you've got to move beyond just saying prayers out loud. And it was interesting because even the Greeks had pagan gods they would pray to and say these long prayers to all these different gods to try and, like, it was like a magic charm effectively. And Jesus is saying, don't use prayers like some magic, magic charms where you've got to get the words exactly right. All the single, every single uh, element of the Sermon on the Mount has been saying, don't worry about the external, get your heart right. So sometimes even in the church, we can get into kind of hocus pocus, kind of magic theology that says you've got to have just the right words for God to do something. And it's just not true. God sees the heart. So he's like, don't worry about babbling on. But here's the thing. He says, when you pray. Now, the problem with us is that we're in a culture that doesn't have prayer anywhere in its culture. And, uh, and so we've got to start even below that level. So this is why I wanted to get Mike up and why I'm so proud of many of the boys in our church that have been going to this upper click group is because we want to be radically countercultural as followers of Jesus and pray not just in church, but every day. Okay, and so this is, now this is challenging some people all over this and all those that have got good prayer lives are going to give me amens and whatnot. And then there's, there's <laughs> two-thirds of the church are going to keep quiet. That's all good. That would have been me a while ago. Um, but we aren't, here's the thing, guys. I don't want to build some Christian subculture where well-meaning, nice people go to church on a Sunday. Like, I've, been, I've, I've seen too many, especially young men, go to church because it's like a culture thing they've always done since they were kids. But what Jesus is longing for is relationship. He wants relationship. And so I'm so proud of Mike and many of the boys who've gone up a click, which is pretty easy when you're on base level nothing. <laughs> Everything's a win. Uh, but the reason we called it up a click is that there is no end to the clicks. And my challenge today, as we look at what Jesus is saying, is that this, is, this has to be part of your life if you're serious about following Jesus. The reason I'm wearing my All Blacks shirt today is because the All Blacks had a sneaky little, I mean, again, sorry if, it's, if some people haven't seen it, and I haven't seen the game because of, of this, um, but I read the news this morning. It sounds like we just slithered in thanks to a TMO, so, you know, we'll all be bribing him, you know, paying him off over the next couple of years or whatever, but we've got a sneaky victory there. Um, but here's the thing. You don't become a Jesus follower by going to church any more than you become an All Black by putting on an All Black jumper. Like, that's the outward stuff. Now, I'm not saying that church is not important. It's real important. And the Bible in a year passage for today is Hebrews 10 that says, don't give up on meeting together. And, and what I've, what's been super encouraging for me as we moved our lives up here alongside some of these guys is that I've seen people's spiritual lives go up as they've re-engaged with church. And for some of you, it's been a long time between drinks in terms of engaging with the church and trusting a church community again. And I've witnessed the effects in your own soul as you've engaged with a worshiping community committed to following the way of Jesus. It's just awesome. But some of us are used to going to church without any disciplines throughout the week. And, and honestly, you're, you're, you're an all black with a t-shirt that's, you know, where's the, where, Cassie, where are you, mate? You got the picture, bro? Uh, you're an all black, you know, uh, hoping to like do your very best. And it's like... <laughs> Good luck. We are. I'm going to champion this in our in this church, and not to condemn anyone, 
But my job as the pastor is to get our pom-poms out and say, let's have midweek quiet times and let's make it a priority because the richest life you can possibly have is when the two greatest commandments are your greatest priorities. I'm going to love God with everything I have, with all my mind, soul, and strength. I'm going to love others. But it's all connected because your capacity to love others increases as you engage with the one who is perfect love. You cannot like... This church is already annoying me because it's filled with annoying people like you. Like it was a really good church until we started it and you guys started coming along and now it's just annoying because we've got annoying people like you in it. And it's like, well, the only way, and this is why Jesus set up the church because that bumping and bruising and annoying and, and the little, all of that causes me to get onto my knees as a pastor all the time saying, I must decrease and you must increase because I don't have the love in me to love Chris this week because he's really driving me up the wall with whatever. And it's like, but you, I know the one who does have enough love. So help me, Lord, to grow in my love for one another. How does it happen by regularly engaging with him? It'll transform your family life, your work life. Above all, it'll transform your soul when you pray, not if you pray. And so uh, my dream is that in all of our Bay groups, as part of our Bay groups, we would just hold each other accountable. How's your private world with Jesus going? Because because we have seen the utter transformation in our upper clip group of, of young men's lives as we've held each other accountable to our devotional lives with Jesus. And if you want to join us on that Thursday morning at the Milk and Honey, you can join us. You don't have to be under 40. Hallelujah. Just, I got in trouble for that. Oswald Chambers says this, we are only what we are in the dark. All the rest is reputation. What God looks at is what we are in the dark, the imagination of our minds, the thoughts of our hearts, the habits of our bodies. These are the things that mark us in God's sight. Oh, how's that for a conviction burger early on? It's like, man. Uh, but here's the thing. Jesus was challenging the hypocrites all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, and the hypocrites were the people that were like, yeah, I got it all together, I'm a great Christian, look at me, I'm so awesome. And yet internally, their life was very, very disconnected from the outward appearance that they were giving. And so what is our dream is that we would have not a, a, a disconnect, but a resonance between who we are in private and who we are in public. And so this is the dream. And so the disciples had grown up in the strong prayer culture, and it's interesting, in Luke's um, telling of, this, of when Jesus says the, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, it starts like this. The disciples come up to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray. Now, the reason they said that, they'd grown up praying all these prayers. They'd grown up in a prayer culture. And yet when they saw Jesus praying, they were like, mate, that's a whole nother level. Teach us how to pray like that. And what's interesting is that Jesus gives us this set prayer. Um, and let me read this. Uh, from Scott McKnight's commentary. These verses then don't teach so much how to pray, but what to say when in, whenever they pray. Jesus taps into the great Jewish prayer tradition of memorized prayers and gives a new template of prayer. But the kind of template that is recited over and over is a form of spiritual formation. We have the book of Psalms because these were prayers deemed worthy of recitation in public. What is, for me, the clincher in this issue is that the church has always recited the Lord's Prayer. The recitation of the Lord's Prayer among Catholics, the Orthodox, the Protestants, the Reformers emphasize the Lord's Prayer as template and as recited, and among all Christians occurred until the informality of prayers became the rule in the 20th century for some groups of Christians. 
It's time for many of us to regain what we have dropped. Informality has had its day. It's time for some formality too. Oh, Scott McKnight's pushing hard here. Now, the beauty, okay, you're in the vineyard. This is the vineyard church, FYI. The vineyard has the statement that's this. We want to we wanna walk down the radical middle way of Jesus. And so theology that goes to one extreme is bad theology. And we can pendulum. We want to hold some things in tension together. So even though I agree in part with Scott McKnight, I also believe spirit-led prayers have their place. In our prayer life, and our devotional lives, we just had this lovely time of spontaneous worship and prayer. It's both and. But for most of us from a charismatic Pentecostal background, the set prayer thing is a new idea that we haven't probably done too much of. But here's the thing. These prayers shape us and they mold us and they inform us in terms of our worldview and understanding of what God's all about. Now, I want to model this by getting my boy Eli to share his little prayer. And so Eli, who's my seven-year-old boy, prays a little set prayer every single night before he goes to bed. Now, this makes me look awesome. I had nothing to do with it. Where did you learn that prayer? Uh, from a prayer book mom gave to me. Yeah. yeah, there we go. So Eli, God bless him, um, memorized this little prayer and says it every night. So I want you to say it, Eli. Are you cool to say it? The Lord is my rock and my safe place and the one who takes me out of the trouble. My God is my rock and womb I'm safe. He is my safe covering, my saving strength and my strong tower. Amen. Oi. Well done. All right. Oh, hold it together. What a great habit. Because he's just speaking over himself the nature of God. And here's the beauty is that when Eli gets in a pickle at school or whatever life throws at him, he doesn't have to try and like work out some prayer in the moment. He can just say that prayer over and over. The Lord is my rock, my safe place, the one, the one who takes me out of trouble. It's just the Lord is my refuge. What an amazing thing to every time he prays it, I'm not, you know, I'm having a moment because it's just so beautiful. Because he's, so this is what Jesus is saying. I want you to memorize this sort of prayer because it contains so much about the nature of God and the way of Jesus. And so let's just work our way really quickly through what Jesus is saying here. But it is a prayer that's meant to be said just as by rote. Uh, and it's a great one to memorize, and many do, which is good. The first thing that Jesus says is, Our Father. Let's start with the word our. <laughs> it's going to, oh, mate, it's going to take a while. Our. Um, the first thing we note is that this prayer speaks to the corporate reality of Christians' lives. The prayer does not instruct in an individual way, my father, my daily bread, my trespasses, but with the community of Jesus' disciples in view. It's our father, our daily bread, our trespasses. There may be religions that come to you through the quiet woods. This is from William and Harris. Do I have this quote? I do. Awesome. This is from Jonathan Pennington. There may be religions that come to you through the quiet walks in the woods or by sitting quietly in the, with the library with a book or rummaging around in the recesses of your psyche. Christianity is not one of them. Christianity is inherently communal, a matter of life in the body, the church. Jesus did not call isolated individuals to follow him. He called a group of disciples. So Jesus is speaking about who God is uh, in terms of triune, but also as we pray it, often... Uh, as I pray the Lord's Prayer, it helps me riff off into other things. So, I, you know, I'm impacted by this hour. And so I'm like, 
thank you, Lord, for Bay Vineyard Church. I thank you for all the annoying people that make up Bay Vineyard Church. Uh, even Andy, Lord. Andy Wordsworth, I thank you for him. And even help me, you know, even that. And it's... um. But I'm like, man, what a beautiful thing that I'm not in isolation here. And so, and what's an incredible thought is, thank you, Lord, that as I pray this, even in this moment, there's probably thousands, if not millions of other Christians tapping into this prayer that I am connected to because we are one giant body of Christ. And so then he says, our Father who's in heaven, and Jesus uses this word, Abba, Father, which um, some people have argued this was a shocking thing that he said. The Jewish culture had this understanding of God's nature, but Jesus really drove it home, that God is a good Father. We've sung that this morning, and it resonates, that it resonates deep within our soul, and there's this hope that it's true. So I was like, I just hope this is who God is. It is. He's good. He's a father. Now, some of us have had good experiences of our earthly fathers. Some of us have had tricky ones. One of the first things God begins to do when you start to follow the way of Jesus is he begins to heal uh, our understanding of the nature of God. And he uh, reveals himself as the perfect father who loves us. And that's the first thing he wants to, to do is that he's, he's trustworthy. He's kind. He is for you and he's proud of you. And he isn't going to abandon you or bail on you. And I pray, Lord, even this morning, you'll bring healing and revelation to those of us who need to know that. When you start to get your head and heart around what God is like, prayer ceases to be some religious thing that you know you should do as a Christian. And it becomes a pure delight because you get to hang out with God who is perfect in every way. And it's like Jesus, like little Eli said, he's a refuge. That's the thing, this has been my journey, is I used to be scared of going to God because I'd done naughty things on the internet. And so I used to be always like, oh no, I had too much shame to go to God. And so prayer felt, I felt nervous about going to God in prayer because I was scared about what he would say to me. And the more that I've hung out with him, the more I've realized there's no need for fear. And every single time he's like, I'm for you. I love you. I'm proud of you. And his beautiful presence somehow, somehow captivates me to live a holier life. Not because I need to please him, but because I know it's the way that brings life. Choosing not to follow the way of Jesus makes life tricky and complicated and pollutes our souls. It is, we all know that. And yet he comes and he forgives us. He brings us healing, cleansing, and reveals the beautiful nature of God. He is our refuge and our safe place. I'm going to... There's two things I want to say today, and I've said the first. It's simply this. Let's pray. Let's pray. All the rest of it I don't have time to work through, but give us our daily bread. After you've, after you've prayed, you know, actually, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your names. Worship holy, you're awesome. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So before I give you my shopping list, would your kingdom come, your agenda first, Lord, before my agenda, your will before my will. Jesus echoed that in the Garden of Gethsemane. But here's what I've seen countless times. The stronger your private world with Jesus deepens, the stronger that is, the more there's kingdom activity around you. All of us want to live lives of significance that actually count for something rather than just making money for some CEO. All of us want it to count. And the more you hang out with Jesus in your private world, the more the kingdom activity starts to happen all around you and you're not even trying. Yeah. 
You don't have to force some sort of kingdom, missional kind of life of significance. Tap in to Jesus, get a strong private world with him and watch the fruit just start to blossom and grow. Like that's what happens. And so your kingdom come, his kingdom just starts happening as we seek him in prayer. Your will be done. Lord, your will be done. Uh, Give us today our daily bread. Then you can start going, God, I need some help. But the interesting thing, Jesus always brings us back to this moment because so often I'm freaking out about things in a couple of months' time. Right? We live in the future freaking out and God's always, Jesus is always trying to bring us to the present. Get present. Because if we live in the future, we stop being present with the people around us. And we want to love people and be present for them. Even this week, we've had car troubles and Joanne's given me a blinking assignment to do on Tuesday. I've got all these things I've got to do. And, it's like, and I felt like Jesus saying, today... Your daily, what do you need today? Come and ask for your daily bread today. And we have seen his provision so many ways. I couldn't even, I could barely hold it together during Great is Thy Faithfulness because we have seen his faithful provision every step of the way. He's not Santa Claus, so I'm not like praying for some, like, you know, his kingdom is that the poor be lifted out of poverty, not that I would get in Harley, okay? It's like, the more that we get close to him, we start to feel his heartbeat, but he's also not Scroogey McDuck, who doesn't, who's just like trying to like, he's generous, he's good, he's a perfect father, and times I've been overwhelmed with his provision, and times I've been like, where the heck are you? But what it doesn't matter, he's either doing something deep in my heart, or blowing my mind with his provision, he's always doing a good work. You can trust him. But hey, if, you, if you're stressed out about some stuff, start praying. Why is it the last thing we do? Like it's only when we're really panicked, oh man, I might as well pray as if, you know, well, I've finally done, exhausted my list of ideas. How about I finally get on my knees? Let's get in the habit of getting on our knees early. What are you carrying today? What are you worried about? Let's just say, Lord, would you come give me my daily bread? But here's the big one. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. I want to just lean into this. It finishes it and with lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, that's a good prayer to pray. There's a lot of temptation out there, folks. There's a lot of temptation. Some of you guys, some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you guys are a bit deceived uh, because you don't think, you, you know, it's, there's some, help us, Lord. Power, the, the idolization of money, the, uh, you know, too many cream buns, you know, <laughs> Burger King, uh, <laughs> you know, porn, alcohol, unhealthy relationships, sleeping with someone I shouldn't be sleeping with, all of that stuff. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but, but, lead, but, but deliver me from the evil one who wants to ruin lives, but he's the one that wants to give life in all of its fullness. Some of us know exactly, some of us it's hour by hour. Lead me not into temptation, deliver me from the evil one. Lord, I wanna follow your way. Hang in there, guys. If you fall off the wagon, we come to the cross. We receive mercy and grace, but we get back on the wagon. Lord, I want to live your way, and I can. The biggest lie of the enemy is I've battled my own addictions is that I'll never be free from this. That is the biggest lie of the enemy. Continue to follow the way of Jesus. Say, I will never give up following his way. I will keep coming to the to the church, keep coming to the cross, and you will be amazed at what he does over time. Sometimes there's an instant healing of some addiction. 99% of the time, there's a deep, long, hard road of breaking free from that stuff by his grace and his mercy, and we just don't give up. We keep following the way of Jesus. But here we go. Uh, 
Jesus finishes this particular statement with a really heavy line. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. How heavy is that? And this is it's jarring to us because we have, and, and rightly so, a doctrine of justification by faith. So we believe that what Jesus has done on the cross means that we can be forgiven. And that is true, but Jesus is also saying something very profound here that we need to unpack so we understand what he's saying. Um, How do we tackle this one in the time we have? Um, Let me me say this is from um, one of the commentaries, I can't remember. The guy says, There is no serious prayer for forgiveness except on the lips of a forgiver. There is no serious prayer for forgiveness except on the lips of a forgiver. This does not contradict justification by faith, but shows that a revenge-seeking heart is clearly not one that has believed in God's forgiveness for sins alone. Here's what Jesus is tapping into. The reality is that every single one of us has been utterly and totally forgiven because of the sacrifice of God's own Son on the cross. And what what Jesus is saying here is that to say that therefore we can't forgive other people is just unbelievably insulting and heartbreaking to God. Can you imagine like that somehow he could forgive you for all the pain you've caused him in your waywardness and all the broken, like it hurt. Not like God's a good father. So, and, so he just felt nothing but pain and longing that you would come home and you did. God bless you. And some of you, you're coming home. Good, good on you. And what does he do? The, this, the, par, the parable of the prodigal son reveals the nature of God. The father runs to you as you start coming home and embraces you and welcomes you home to a party. And you are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, you're forgiven. And so therefore, in view of God's mercy, we are called to be people of mercy. And if we cannot do that, we are rejecting God's forgiveness, Jesus is saying. It's a strong word. And so it was very interesting because we often will say the the Apostles' Creed here at church because it's our statement of faith. And in AD 300, as they were writing the statement of faith, they wrote the line in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Now, why did they write that? Well, because previous to that moment, the church had gone under enormous persecution by two Roman emperors. In 250 AD, the emperor Decius ordered everyone in the Roman Empire to sacrifice to Roman gods and the well-being of the emperor. Christians were included in the order and forced to choose. Give a sacrifice to an idol or face the consequences. Fifty years later, the emperor uh, Diocletian, you know, got that one. Um, Diocletian, uh, he was even worse. He ordered Christians to sacrifice to the Roman gods or face death. And many, it was a, it was a horrific persecution of the church. Now, what happened is that a significant number of Christians renounced their faith and performed the required sacrifices. And I've been sitting on this for a couple of days now and just going, what would you do? You know, in some places in the world today, there's that choice. Christianity's hardcore in many countries. We've got it very easy, which is why um, secularism and consumerism is really hard to wean off when you're following the way of Jesus. That's, that's our big challenge. It's way challenge. But there's some places where it's like you've got to choose 
either you profess your, profess your faith and you die. I baptised a guy who had to claim refugee status after he got baptised here in New Zealand because he would have been killed if he had gone home. So, but he, so a number of these guys renounced their faith and performed the sacrifice. And then after each period of persecution ended and Christianity continued to grow, the question of the fate of those who returned to the faith led to a lot of pain and debate and, uh, and division. Can you imagine? Like if this half of the church had bailed and us here had hung in there and, uh, and we'd seen our children executed and our wife mauled by lions and then these guys come back to church after the persecution ends and we're like, hey guys, we're back. And it's like, <sighs> And what's ringing in their head, can you forgive? The words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, can you forgive these people for what they've done? Sorry to pick on you guys. And so in the creeds, the context of this faith of this phrase, I believe in the forgiveness of sins takes on very special meaning because the church rightly came to the conclusion that these guys didn't have to get rebaptized or do anything, that they could receive mercy and they could be forgiven by the very people who were crushed that they bailed on them in their greatest hour of need. This is at the foundation of the church, church history. And so we, uh, we believe that, that, you, that you can be forgiven and now, this is challenging because today there'll be probably a lot of us, and I had to, thankfully I did business with God before this morning. It's one of the few perks of the job uh, where I could get convicted of some unforgiveness in my heart towards people. And in light of Jesus' forgiveness for myself and in light of his challenging words here at the end of this passage, I could ask God for his forgiveness for my heart and then I could forgive some people that had hurt me. And in our country, there has been a lot of pain. We're going to explore some of that next year in our own history. And we have some very, very gracious Māori amongst us who are prepared to walk into a church filled predominantly with Pākehā and extend forgiveness by being here. Just in, the, you know, just in their very willingness to be here, us Pākehā don't understand how much that takes for some Māori, not, not all Māori, but for a lot. And for those that know their history, it's like, mate, so I honour you guys for, and I asked once more for your forgiveness as Pākehā for what's going on. We're going to have to, we're going to take a journey of reconciliation in this church. This is just a little step towards it. But I ask for your forgiveness so that we can walk forward. Some of you have been really hurt by family or by stuff in life that's been brutal. God invites you to follow his way of forgiveness and mercy. I don't know what that looks like for you, but and, and why? Because it brings healing. I think it was um, Nelson Mandela or Desmond Tutu that said, Forgive, uh, not forgiving is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It's like it's actually it poisons our own soul when we hold on to that desire for revenge and when we're imagining what we'd like to do and, and all of that. And by choosing to forgive, listen, it's not saying that we don't want justice. I believe in the God of justice. And there will be a day when he will make things right and there will be a judgment day. 
And so he will, but I'm saying God will be my vindicator. I am not going to seek revenge. And that's, so it's not, it's not saying that nothing's ever going to happen. There will be consequences for that. There always is consequences for sin. That's just a reality. But forgiveness sets us free and brings hope for redeeming and reconciling and for the world and for us to be reunited in our hearts. You don't have to be best friends with the people that you forgive. Jesus didn't run and find the people that drove the nails through his hands to give them a big hug and let's be best buddies. But he did forgive them on that cross. Let me land with this. There was a serial killer in the States um, and he... uh, this guy, Gary, I can't remember his last name, deleted it here, which is not helpful. Um, Gary whatever, Gary the sicko. Uh, he was initially convicted, he was a serial killer, initially convicted of 48 murders. And then as part of his plea bargain down the track, another conviction was added, bringing the total number of conviction, convictions to 49. Um, he killed a number of women in the state of Washington during the 80s and 90s, and now is thought to have killed more than 90 so you've got to try and imagine you've got 90 families whose lives have been devastated by this guy. He pled guilty, which meant that he avoided the death penalty and got sentenced to life in prison um, and, so, uh, and avoided a trial because he just pled guilty as part of his plea deal. And as part of the court case, as the, ca- uh, the case wrapped up, the victims could stand and give a victim's impact statement. And uh, many did. So I want to play this one-minute video that gives you a little insight to uh, what's happening. And and watch the guy at the end, uh, what he says. Gary Ridgway sat there stone-faced as victims' relatives damned him and mocked him. He's an animal. I wish for him to have a long, suffering, cruel death. He's going to go to hell, and that's where he belongs. But then the emotionless facade finally cracked when the father of one of his victims appeared to surprise him with a dose of human kindness. Mr. Ridgway, um, there are people here that hate you. I'm not one of them. You've, You've made it difficult to live up to what I believe and that is what God says to do, and that's to forgive. You are forgiven, sir. I can't imagine, you know, um, I I pray none of us have to ever um, be tested to that level with your own daughter. Um, But what a hero. Because this is exactly what Jesus is speaking to here. It's, the, it's like Christianity is radical. We've got to reclaim the radical edge of following Jesus. And it's a radical way of life because it's a, 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 we follow the one who radically forgave us. And he calls us to do the same. And so as we come into land this morning, there's two challenges. And they're big ones. How's your prayer life? Is it a place where you're coming to your heavenly Father and just and it's a place of refuge and a place of peace? How's that going? Now, I don't say that to condemn anyone, and I'm not trying to make anyone feel stink, but I just I want I want us to be the real deal here. 
I don't want some church that's shallow. Where our, one of our core values is depth. And so one of the most radical things we can do is fight against the busyness and all the other things that say I'm a priority and do things like Mike and Luke and others are doing. Even if it means with a young family and a busy work life, you're getting up at 5.30 in the morning because you're saying, I want to be close to you. I want to be filled every day with your presence and your power. Mike and those guys are, are heroes of mine. I'm not as hardcore as that because <laughs> I'm pastor. I get to do it throughout the day, thankfully. Again, another perk of the job. Half of you guys are going to be want to be pastors by the time I'm done sharing all the perks. But, um, so thank goodness I don't have to do that. Part of my job is I get to do it throughout the day. But for many of us, we don't have that luxury, and so we have to fight for this, and it needs to be a priority. Let's make it a priority, and let's watch our souls change and come alive more and more as it flourishes in Him. But the second uh, challenge for us today is this. Is there someone that God wants to invite us to forgive this morning? And uh, I've kind of like really wrestled with how we do this moment because everything wants to like for me to give two or three hours of lectures on what forgiveness is and isn't. And, and it can seem too simple to even say those words, I forgive you. But you know, in my experience is I've done that a couple of times in my life in big moments. It's like a baptism or it's like a wedding day. They're big moments where I say things that seem so easy to say, but they, something shifts because I've said them. And I've decided I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit lead us into our working what, the Holy, what for, uh, forgiveness looks like in your context. He's very good at leading us and guiding us in that, in that way. But what I want to do is give us some space as we finish this morning to ask God to, extend, to speak to us if there is someone that we should forgive. So let me pray. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to have a private world with you that's really strong. And uh, so Lord, teach us how to pray and teach us, uh, I pray even now that by your Holy Spirit, we'll just be getting ideas anointed by you about when this could happen, how it could look and all the rest of it. So Lord, uh, help us to be people that read your word, that are, are praying people. Uh, Lord, just help us. We know that it's tricky. We know we're all on a journey on this. But Lord, this morning, once more, we say we want you more than all the other stuff. So Lord, help us to follow you in that way. And Lord, as you challenge us this morning, even as we pray the prayer in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, we forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, we right now want to just spend this moment, and if there's someone that has really wounded and hurt us, I pray that by your Spirit you'd bring them to mind and that you'd help us just to extend forgiveness in our own heart towards them. So come, Lord, and just speak to us now. We're just going to have just a moment of silence and allow the Spirit of God just to speak to us. And as we do that, just do business with God. And if it's a struggle, just talk to God about the struggle. Be honest with Him. You don't even have to have it all sorted today, but let's just take a journey now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we bless you. Lead us, Lord God, in this journey of reconciliation, healing, forgiveness. Forgive us our pride. Forgive us for the way we want to stay in control. Forgive us for the thoughts of our hearts and minds that have wounded your heart in view of your love and forgiveness of us. And lead us into life everlasting, Father. 
We ask that you would hear our prayer this morning. Amen. Deep water, friends. If you want to, um, thank you, guys. Uh, if you, <laughs> thank you, five of you. If you want to receive prayer for anything, you can sit up the front. If you'd like to give your life to Jesus, you can sit up the front. If you want a coffee, you can go over there and get some coffee. Bless you all. Thank you for coming here, and uh, feel free to sign up for our database if you didn't get an email. But next week, God willing, we'll be back at Napier Boys. God bless you all. Ka kite ano. God bless.